When going along the highways, we drivers should make it our business to watch the road signs. When approached with another's problem, the most common tendency is to suggest what possible You're action likely to make someone defensive. Thus, responding is way frequently much as Cool weather on the way. Details on Nikon. The race to be the best. To be the king of the road goes on and on. The batteries tend to last only a few hours. That's not keeping the buyers away. If only you had more energy. You have to be thrifty nowadays. You work too hard for your money. This weekend, we're opening doors all over the area. Don't you can afford. How's it feeling, Anya? Feeling good? Uncomfortable yet? <laughs> Sermon on silence and solitude, fair warning. <laughs> Some of you online were like, something went wrong there. Okay, no, I was just quiet. Here's what I want you all to do with me. Take one big deep breath with me. So as you, as you did that, there's actual science going on. You take a deep breath and you're, your blood pressure actually gets into a better place. Your, your, your body starts to slow itself down. Your, your heart actually starts to slow itself down when you take a deep breath, when you pause and whew, quiet yourself. Here's a question I have for you to begin this morning. It's a reflective question. How quiet is your soul? How quiet is your soul? I'm not talking yet about the world around you, about the craziness around you. I'm just starting with what's going on on the inside. Take an inventory for one second. What is going on inside of my soul? Is it noisy or is it quiet? If we sat down face to face and I just asked you that question, how quiet is your soul? How would you answer that question? Maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm actually pretty calm right now. I'm actually pretty peaceful in this moment. Maybe I'm doing quite well. It is, maybe you would echo the words of that old hymn, it is well with my soul. Or, or maybe you'd be honest. And you would say, my soul feels hurried. My soul feels busy. My soul feels tired and weary. My soul needs rest. So I want to make an observation for us this morning based upon that question. And the observation is this. We live noisy lives we live noisy lives. 
The book that really inspired this series is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. If you haven't picked it up, highly recommend that. In the book, he recognizes there are two types of silence that we need in our lives, an internal silence, a silence within our souls, and an external silence, a silence of the life around us, the busyness around us, the hurriedness around us, the noise that is around us. Because even if you said my soul is at peace, even in this moment, guess what's going to happen? At the end of this gathering, you're going to go out of those doors and life will get loud. Even if you get one moment of peace and calm and quiet within your soul and even around you right now, you will leave those doors and life will get noisy. Some of you have the noise of children in your ear asking, why, 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 why? Mom, can I have this? No, why? Dad, can, I, can, can we do this? No, why? Hey, hey, dad, dad, mom, mom. Some of you got that noise in your life, right? Some of you have uh, emails that you need to attend to. I even, I even say that and you're like, oh no, yeah, I got that one I didn't send last week and I should have sent it on Friday and now I got to worry about it and you brought it up and now my soul's not at rest, right? I was sitting on my back porch yesterday and I was just taking inventory of external noise. External noise, here's what I heard. I was just sitting there, I heard, um, I heard cars driving by. I heard airplanes flying overhead. Thank you, Southwest Airlines, okay? Like, <laughs> uh, it's great that so many people are able to do direct flights in Bozeman, Montana, but wow, there's a lot of them, okay? And there's gonna be more, there's gonna be more, right? Uh, I heard lawnmowers. I heard weed eaters. I heard people talking. I heard dogs barking. Even the birds were chirping and the wind was blowing yesterday. And I thought, even the world around me is against me. Trying to write a sermon on silence and solitude. Will you all please be quiet? And then we play these games with our technology, don't we? You ever play that game where you're sitting in a meeting and suddenly you hear bzz, 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 and what does everybody do? What does everybody do? We play the whose phone is it game, right? And like, is it my phone? Nope. Is it your phone? No. Is it my? Is it? We play that game. We don't focus because our internal world and our external world is anything but silent. But in order to live a life at rest, you need silence, and you need solitude. I want to give you a simple formula, a simple formula for downshifting. Now, I am not good at math. That's why I'm a theology major, okay? Like when they did the whole train A leaves the station at 10 o'clock and train B leaves the station at 2 o'clock, and they're 100 miles away, I was like, which one is James Bond going to save? That's what I want to know. Like <laughs> That's that's how my mind works, okay? So I was never good at math. It's always train number three, by the way. Okay, so, but I wanna give you a simple mathematical illustration. And it goes something like this. A little bit of math, a little bit of words, all right? Engage is greater than escape. And then that equals downshift. 
When engage is greater than escape, then you will be able to downshift. See, I think in the midst of the hurried and worried and busy and restless, what we end up doing is we end up settling for something that is less than. What we end up settling for is escapism. We are amusing ourselves to death. We are escaping from this world when there is something greater available to us. We escape. Here's the, here's the thing. You come back from vacation more tired than when you left for vacation most of the time. Is that not true? Like, you heard that conversation. I need a vacation from my vacation, right? Somehow a vacation doesn't fix what's going on in my soul. I don't know if you're like me, but when I go on vacation, I pack it in. I do all the things I can possibly do, and I come back so tired and not rested. You don't need another vacation. You don't need another purchase. Like, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, Amazon is a problem for me, okay? I'm just admitting it, okay? Some of you are like, me too, okay, right? Some of you are like, if I can just, that, that, that purchase. If I just get one, that one, that, 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 that's gonna help a little bit. I can just escape to that purchase or, or just dream about that purchase, if I just dream about that car that I might get someday, that, that boat I'm gonna get someday, that thing that I'm going to get someday, maybe, and someday maybe I'm gonna get it. But then what happens? We get it, and then what? We're like, oh, man, there's a new version of it. This just doesn't fill the void. We escape in Bozeman to another adventure. Adventure after adventure after adventure after adventure after adventure, and, and we eventually start Worship in creation rather than the creator. We escape to another high, another beer, another series to binge watch. We escape. And when escaping is greater than engaging with God, you're, you're gonna be left feeling hurried and worried and unsettled. Because you don't need to escape from the world. What you need to do is engage with God. There's something greater available for you. That's how you downshift. Your soul doesn't need an escape. It needs a full engagement with the one who can actually fill your soul. We need to shut down all of the noises of this life. And we need to tap into the only true source of life. When Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the what? To the empty? No, to the full. He wasn't joking. It wasn't a metaphor. He wasn't like, oh, maybe kidding. When he said that he meant your life was meant to be lived on full, not on empty. That's why he came. And so I want to focus on one short verse. One short verse found in Psalm 46, verse 10. Super simple. You can memorize this one. Some of you got it on a coffee cup somewhere and you just like, you got it. All right. Some of your moms cross-stitched it for you. Good job. 
It's this, be still and know that I'm God. As the psalmist is reflecting upon God and who he is, he can hear these words resonate from the vantage point of God. And God is saying to him and to us, be still and know that I am God. Some really important things to notice in the midst of that tiny little passage. First, Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Invitation to Silence and Solitude says this, if you're never still, you can never know who is God. Think about that. If you're never still, if the psalmist says be still and then know that I am God, if you're never still, how will you know? How will you possibly know? If if you're sitting here today going, man, I don't know what to do with my life. Have you been still so that you may know? Man, Man, I don't know who God is. Have you been still so that you would know? I don't know what to do in this choice. Have you been still? so that you would know. You have to be still so that you can know. And then secondly, what you need to know is that you're not God. I feel like I say this every time I'm on stage, you're not a very good God. Ask your spouse, okay? Ask your friend, ask your kid. You're kind of a crappy God, okay? Be still and know that you are not God. Some of us are acting like if we don't do all the things we think we need to do, the world's gonna fall apart. Listen, you cannot, you cannot underestimate how unimportant the things you have to do are. Most of the things you are doing, someone else could do. It's hard to think about that. It's hard to think about the fact that I might not be as important as I think I need to be. That the world will still revolve, that God will be in charge, that he will do all the things that he needs to. Yes, I get to be part of that, but that does not revolve around me. Be still and know that he is God. I think the last thing to notice in this little passage, be still and know that he is God, is it's the last thing we usually do when it comes to prayer, right? Like when we usually pray, we just relegate it to a laundry list. Like, hey God, it's good to talk to you. I mean, talk at you. That's what prayer is, right? Jesus, uh, you're great, and I love you, and uh, here's what I need. I got some things, okay? Like, I need some advice on this decision, and um, like, can you help? I got somebody that's sick in my life. I need some help there, and hey, I got this thing going on. Really need some help there. My kid's a little unruly. I got like, I got these things going on in my life. When in prayer do you take time to listen? 
Prayer is a conversation with God, correct? That's what it simply is. It's It's a conversation with God. When do you take time to listen? Like, you ever had that friend? Okay, don't look around. <laughs> don't nudge anybody, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, not be you. Okay, so, like, you ever had that friend who just doesn't stop talking, okay? Like, I'm, I'm sometimes that friend. I'm just to be honest with you, okay? Surprise, surprise, okay? Right? That friend who's always got another story, something to tell you, something to talk about. They got a question to ask you and they go on and on and on. You get the other conversation, you're like, I am exhausted by you, man. Like, I got, I got things going on in my life too. Like, people like that are not that fun to be around, right? It's, it's not fun to be around somebody who's just taking, 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 taking and never giving. Is that how your relationship with God is? Is that how your conversation with God is? Like, I, I don't, there's parables Jesus talks about we need to ask and ask and ask God, right? He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't hate that. He loves hearing our voice no matter how we talk to him. But couldn't it be deeper and richer and better if we listened more? Like, wouldn't that be a better, a better way? Wouldn't that be a way that we could give ourselves a moment to stop and listen for the voice of God, be still and know that I am God. I wanna give you four biblical examples of downshifting. I wanna do a little look through the Bible this morning. And I wanna look at how important silence and solitude is throughout the Bible. I am a total Bible nerd, and I love seeing the themes and the threads throughout scripture. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pull on just one thread today. I wanna show you how important silence and solitude is, and this is by no means a comprehensive list. We could have character after character after character that engage with silence and solitude. I'm just gonna take four of them. So four biblical examples of downshifting. Number one, Elijah. So we find Elijah in 1 Kings. Elijah comes on the scene and um, and the Israelites, God's people, are dealing with somebody named King Ahab and uh, his wife Jezebel. Now, you just know their names. You're like, oh, those are the bad guys, right? So, okay. So King Ahab and Jezebel are exactly what you think they are. They've turned everybody's hearts against God. They're worshiping other things. What they are doing is they're escaping from the world, worshiping things that aren't actually God, instead of engaging with the real one God, okay? And so... Um, and so Elijah shows up on the scene and he says, I- I'm gonna call you to repentance. I'm gonna call you back to God. And, and, and so you, you may know this story if you've been around uh, the church at all. Elijah eventually culminates with this a huge epic moment where he gets up to, on top of this massive mountain and he takes all these prophets of Baal and Asherah, these two fake gods, and they set up two altars. And he says, you cry out to your God and I'll cry out to my God and, and we'll see who shows up for the altar, who shows up for the offering. And so they dancing around and screaming and yelling and Elijah's kind of, um, he's kind of playing with them and says, maybe he fell asleep, maybe he's out on vacation, maybe he's on the toilet, you never know. Uh, you just probably should keep calling on him, right? And he never shows up. Well, then Elijah sets his altar up, douses it with water, douses it again, douses it again with water. And he cries this simple prayer, God, God, see me. 
God show up right now. And God shows up, incinerates the entire altar, bricks and all. There's nothing left after God is done with it because God shows up in such a powerful way. And Elijah flees after this. He flees for his life because he's afraid. He's he's afraid in this moment. He's he's up against Ahab and Jezebel. And so so in one of these moments where he's he's fled to the mountain, he's fled to Mount Horeb. And he's up there and God is providing for him and taking care of him. And and as he's listening for the voice of God, he's kind of having a pity party for himself. He's like, "I'm, I'm the only one who still loves you, God. And God says, hold on, I'm, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna show up. So this is what happens. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. If you're Elijah, you're like, here's God. This is how it works. God is showing up. Nope, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Surely God's got to be in the earthquake. I mean, the ground is literally shaking, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, a consuming fire. Elijah's probably thinking about Moses. He's like, hey, burning bush, I got it. God's showing up, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. God came, not in the earthquake, not in the wind, not in the fire. He came in some, some translations would say it this way. He came in the pure silence, the pure stillness of the moment. I'm tempted to make a sound of silence, Simon and Garfunkel joke at the moment, but I won't do that. Okay, so... Um, the sound of silence. This is when God showed up in Elijah's life. Not in the noise, not in the craziness. And this is why I love the Bible. It comes out of our story as well. Doesn't life feel like wind is all around you sometimes? I mean, not like living in Livingston, but like, you know, Like, doesn't it feel like life is windy all the time in your soul and in the world around you? Doesn't it feel like sometimes life is like an earthquake? Like things are shaking, the ground is unsteady within my soul and within the world around me. I don't know what to expect next. Doesn't it feel like life is like a fire? Right, we're all worried about this because of how hot it's getting in June. We're like, fire season is coming, right? Doesn't life feel like that? Smoky, you can't see through it. It hurts, it's, it's just unclear, and, and it's, just, it's just awful. Doesn't life feel like that? And we say, oh, maybe God will be somewhere in there, but he's not for Elijah, and he's not for you. He's in the still, small voice. Number two, David. We all love the story of David. I love the story of David. Uh, this summer, I'm gonna do a little sermon and we're gonna have some clips from a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, a guy that I like to read, wrote a book called David and Goliath. And we all know the story of David. 
A little song, only a boy named David, only a little sling. Okay, some of you know it. All right, so David slays the giant Goliath. Even if you haven't been around church very much, you know the story about David and Goliath. But every hero has an origin story. Can I get an amen from some of my nerds, okay? Right? Like every hero has an origin story, a story of where they came from. And David's origin story is this. He was a shepherd. Do you know what shepherds do? Not much. That's what they do. They protect their flock, yes. They make sure that they find pastures, yes. But a lot of the time, they're just observing what is going on around them. There are these moments where things absolutely need to be done, but the life of a shepherd is a life of silence and a life of solitude. And it was there in the wilderness that the origin story of David began. It was in the silence. It was in the solitude. It was as David was leading sheep around the wilderness looking for simple things like green grass and water. And out of that, he pens this beautiful poem, this beautiful song that many of us know called Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Not rushing water. Not the mad mile in the Gallatin. Quiet waters. The picture is that these sheep are laying down in a place where they have everything that they need. They have grass and they have water and they have protection. David knows this because he led these sheep out into this each and every day and he knew that this is how God would lead him. And so it's out of that origin story, that's why he defeats Goliath. He he doesn't wonder about who's taking care of him. He doesn't wonder about who's going to provide for him, who's going to give him green pastures, who's going to lead him beside quiet waters. He knows exactly who's going to do that all the time. It's why he's one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. He's a man after God's own heart. Number three, Mary. So Jesus had some amazing, amazing friends. And three of those friends were Mary and Martha and Lazarus, siblings uh, who often were inviting Jesus into their home for rest and relaxation and part uh, of renewal was him coming to their house. You know, this, you may know the story with Lazarus. He actually died and Jesus weeps and, and goes and calls Lazarus out of the grave. But one of the, one of the other stories about them is that uh, Jesus is coming over to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house and Martha is getting everything ready. And Martha is like, okay, Jesus is coming over, right? So her internal and her external noise are pretty loud, right? She got to have a clean kitchen and food prepared, send out an Evite, 
Uh, she got to look perfect on her Instagram story, hashtag blessed, hashtag cleanliness with godliness, literally. Um, so, right? Okay. Careful, right? Is that, is that, is that where your soul is? It's got to be perfect. House got to be perfect. Kids got to look perfect. At least on Instagram. At least on Facebook. Can you deal with the mess? Do you want to deal with the mess? Is your soul hurried and worried and anxious and tired? So Martha's doing all this, and I actually really like Martha because I, I like working. Um, I think Martha gets a bit of a bad rap. I, I, like Martha is a, kind of a rock star because she entertains for Jesus and, and has him over to her house all the time. I, I just have a feeling that Martha made really, really good ribs. I don't know. So um, <laughs> brisket probably. Probably not. Um, but there's this moment in the story. I'll just read the whole story for you and I'll, I'll grab a clip from it. It says this. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. They came to a, a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, and here's the key word, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Her, no, her, her world was noisy, Right? She was distracted, so she came to him and, and asked, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> Love this. Jesus, don't you care? Because Jesus like, die on the cross, care a little bit. Okay, right? <laughs> that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Seems like a pretty good request. So then Martha said, or Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things, few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is, say it with me, better. Mary has chosen what? What is better. And it will not be taken away from her. What Martha was doing wasn't bad, but it wasn't better. One thing was necessary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Once again, you can't possibly fully comprehend how many of the things that you're doing are not that important to this life. And you cannot underestimate how important the one thing really is. You will not regret spending too much time with Jesus. I have never had a wife come into my office and say, I just wish my husband loved Jesus a little less. He's just, Jesus, 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 and I just can't, I can't, can't deal with it anymore, Brian. I've heard lots of wives say, man, I, I wish my husband would love Jesus a little more, would lead our family a little better, would choose the one thing rather than all the things. Lastly, our last example of downshifting is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. So we get to Mark 1, 35 verses in. It's classic. We only get 35 verses in. And it says, this very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, went off to a solitary place. Where is that? That's a place of silence 
and solitude, a place where he's alone and he's quiet, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> like if everyone's looking for you, you get FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, right? You freak out. You're like, everybody's looking for me. I'm so busy. I need to be helpful. I got to help. I got to do this. I got to do that. There's a lot of things going on in my life. You don't understand why I got to be busy because it's so, so important. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. Nah. I'm going to go on the mountainside and I'm going to pray. But Jesus, everybody's looking for you. No, 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 no. There's one thing that's necessary. There's, there's only 16 chapters in Mark, and, and for almost every single chapter, Mark notes that Jesus goes and finds some silence and solitude. Like, this wasn't a one-off for Jesus. This was his rhythm of life. He was connected to the one true voice that he had to hear in the midst of the noise in the midst of all the things that he could be doing, in the midst of knowing that he was on mission to give his life for the sins of the world, over and over again, he went to seek silence and solitude and hear the voice of the Father. He was dependent on it. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, then this is the way, this is the truth, and this is the life. You need more silence and solitude. So I want to give you a downshift principle, and this, this is it. It just takes one. It just takes one. You need to take one minute of silence. One minute of solitude. Some of you need to up your game. Take a, a chunk of one morning or one afternoon or one evening. Some of you need to take one hour. And some of you need to really up your game and take one day with Jesus. I got to do that a couple weeks ago. I want you to get you a glimpse of that. Check this out. about silence and solitude. Jesus often went on the mountainside to pray. Before he picked all his disciples, he spent the whole night praying on the mountain. Often in the throes of ministry, when others probably thought he should be doing something more important, he went to seek solitude and silence in the mountain just to hear the voice of his father. That's why I come out here too. I don't really come out here for the hunting or the fishing or, or the camping, although those things are all fun. I come out here for this. 
I had spent 24 hours. I gave 24 hours to Jesus. No bears were harmed in the filming of this, <laughs> unfortunately. 24 hours, one day. I was just reading this book recently by Wayne Cordero. He's a pastor in Hawaii called Leading on Empty. And he has a re- regular rhythm. And, and as I was reading that, I've been, been sifting through my own schedule and, and whether or not the one thing is actually as important to me as I'm preaching it at you. And I realized, man, I, I, I need to make some commitments. And, and Wayne uh, suggested that in his schedule, he takes one day every single month to listen for the voice of Jesus. And I didn't clear this with Bob yet, but that's what, Bob, that's what I'm committing to. So I don't know what day it'll be. I'll let you know. Um, one day a month, uh, I'm gonna spend listening for the voice of God. It just takes one, take one minute, one hour, one morning, one afternoon, one evening, one day to be still and know God. I'm gonna give you a chance right now to do that. This is gonna be uncomfortable for me and for you and especially for you online, but we're gonna take one minute of silence right You're 30 seconds in, you can do this. Jesus, we gave you one minute and we want to give you more. So I pray that you'd give us tangible, practical steps to just give you one. I pray that this week we would make commitments and share those commitments with each other. I pray, uh, God, for a hunger to do that. I pray against the fears that we might have. I pray that we would show up and we would be quiet and we would be still in your presence. And God, I I just know, I know you will be there. God, on behalf of all of us, I want to say I'm we're sorry. We're sorry for rushing around this life, for overvaluing our own importance. We're sorry for not trusting you. We're sorry for making excuses. We're sorry that we haven't made this the priority that we've been like Martha instead of Mary. And God, I pray that we would just set all of that down. That we would kneel by your feet. That we would be still and know that you are God. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.